Let's turn together to Isaiah 53. We began last week walking through this, uh, which may be one of the most um, influential chapters in the Bible as far as understanding uh, what the gospel, what the good news of Jesus Christ is. Uh, means, what it is, the depths of what uh, he has done for us. Uh, It is referenced all throughout the New Testament, uh, bits and pieces of this chapter, uh, for a prophecy that happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before actual events to have been this accurate. uh, Certainly got a lot of people's attention, and uh, hopefully it will get our attention as well as we Go through it slowly. Uh, Let's look at the first three verses as we do a very quick recap of last week. Verse 1, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Uh, If you go back and listen to last week's uh, message on the podcast, uh, you'll hear um, a lot more uh, than I'm about to say about these verses, obviously, but... um, it begins talking about who has, um, who has heard our message, who's believed our message, and why, why is, why is uh, there such resistance to uh, the truth about God and who He is, and why has the, the message of the prophets gone unheard, and why is there this rebellion? Um, and the rebellion is against Jesus Himself. And so in this chapter, the He that we keep coming up against uh, and is referring to the Messiah that is to come, is Jesus Christ. And so, saying that he was despised, he was rejected, uh, there was nothing impressive about him, there was, uh, he didn't fit in. Um, and contrary to a lot of, of, our, of what we've come to believe through maybe film, uh, maybe church Easter pageants and stuff like that, he was, he was popular at times, but by and large, uh, Jesus was not uh, a popular person in that regard. He wasn't uh, loved by everyone and that kind of stuff. There were times when he was adored, uh, but by and large, he was just kind of considered a big weirdo, you know. And um, he wasn't impressive. There wasn't anything about him that made you necessarily want to follow him and that kind of stuff. And um, it kind of really came down to this rejection of Jesus. And what is it really about? It's not really rejecting him and his appearance as much. It's not reject, rejecting um, you know, his, his upbringing or where he's from or a lot of the things that we tend to look at in an earthly sense. It was a rejection of what he was saying because uh, he was coming in and saying, hey, I know you think this way about money, but let me tell you what's, what is really true about your money. I know you think this way about your relationships and, or how to deal with anger and how to deal with uh, you know, what real power is and, and all these kind of things. And I know you think that this is who God is, but let me tell you who he really is. And the more he preached and the more he taught, people were like, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with what you're telling me. And it's because, uh, as, as John Piper said, he re- refused to endorse our own rebellion. You know? 
So when Jesus says, hey, your money is not your money, it's all God's money, uh, people don't want to hear that. They want to think, it's my money, I earned it. You know? When Jesus comes in and says, hey, there's nothing you can do uh, to earn the favor of God, to people who have spent their whole life trying to keep rules in order to make God happy with them, that's the last thing that they want to hear. Um, to people who have been waiting on this Messiah to come and lead, uh, lead Israel back into world prominence, for him to come in and say, hey, it's not about military power, it's not about politics, it's not about those things, uh, it's about the kingdom of God and you being the people of God. And it's about submitting to God's will for your lives, and it's about not hating your enemies and fighting them, but actually loving them and praying for them, because you, we have to understand the root issue, all these kind of things, and people are saying, all right, I don't want anything to do with this guy. It's a rejection of his message because he's looking at us and saying, hey, life is not about you, but we want people to tell us that life is about us. So we, that's what we want. And so sin and just a rejection of God's truth is, um, is really a rejection of Jesus himself. And so we as Christians who have been saved from our sins and all these things that we'll talk about in a few minutes, for us to, to continue to engage in sinful behavior on purpose is to continue to despise and reject Jesus. A lot of times we don't really take it that seriously. You know, we're like, oh man, you know, I really wish I would quit doing this, or this is so annoying, I've battled this for so long. And we're, we, we stumble, we fall, we mess up, and we're like, oh, that's not, you know, I wish that hadn't happened, but whatever, you know, Jesus still loved me. Uh, we kind of have a very nonchalant approach to sin and the impact that we have. And so a lot of last week was what I believe God wanting us to, uh, to really mature in our understanding of what sin is and to get to the point where we, where we are broken and grieved over the fact that we continue to reject our Savior, who we've said that we love and we've embraced his message and we've surrendered our lives to him, but yet we keep taking him back. We keep taking him back. And uh, it is this great offense to him. And even though those sins have been forgiven, it just, it's inconsistent. It doesn't make sense that we would continue to live that way. And so um, at, the, at the end last week, uh, just kind of brought forth a challenge that we would, uh, for the next few weeks, that we would fast from sin. Which, even when I say it now, I'm like, it's so weird. We're supposed to be doing that anyway. It's like, yeah, but uh, let's face it, a lot of us aren't. A lot of us are engaging in, in sin consistently because we really just don't think it's that big a deal because we've really become very callous to it. And so by fasting from something, uh, I connected it to playing the guitar. If, if any of these guitar players were to not play for a month, then their calluses on their fingers would go away. And uh, the next time they picked up the guitar, they would be very sensitive to that and it would hurt them. And so for uh, those of us who have grown very callous to our habitual sins, the things we're just consistently rejecting Jesus about, if we fast from those behaviors or whatever over the next month, the callousness of our heart, will, will, it'll go away, it'll go away, it'll go away. And should we engage in that again, uh, we'll be a lot more sensitive to it and it will grieve us. And so um, just, just kind of asking, asking the Lord uh, to help us to not be brats about our sin and uh, for us to grow in our understanding of that and to use this text to help us. Um, tonight, when we, when we look at the next four verses, we're really getting into uh, really the, the, heart of, of what it, the heart of the gospel in a lot of ways. What it means to really understand uh, the message of Christianity, uh, what the kingdom of God, um, like what bringing, that in, uh, bringing us into the kingdom of God means. 
Um, and one of my concerns is that um, if, you know, if you have not been around church a whole lot in your life, uh, I hope that this, that, that this is informative, that it is refreshing, that it is a clear picture of, um, of, of some things that, that God will use the scriptures to help like, bring that more into focus for you. Uh, but my concern is for people who've been around church a long time, that we would, uh, and I'm one of, those, one of those folks, that we would just kind of check out because we're like, no, no, like I understand Easter, you know, I get it. I understand sin, I understand the cross, I understand whatever. That we would think like, oh, this is for people who don't know Jesus yet. Um, and I'll just ask you, no matter where you are, uh, if, you've been, if you've been around church and Jesus for a day, or your entire life, wherever you fall in there, uh, that we would all be open to what he wants to tell us. Because I have to believe that in, in my life, in, in the times and in the areas of life where I continue to just choose my own path over and over again and reject him, it's because I don't understand the gospel as deeply as I need to. Sometimes we say like, oh, I have all the head knowledge, you know, it's just, I'm just not applying it. It's like, no, no, that's, that's not the case. And God continues to bring that up. It's like, no, if, if it's not changing the way that you live your life, then you don't believe it to the depths that you need to. And so um, may all of us, as we get into these verses, especially tonight, may we all be open to what God wants to teach us and uh, reveal to us and maybe break us of as we go forward. Um, we're going to read these verses here in a minute. Um, but uh, let me just kind of like lay a little bit of groundwork. Um, we're we're getting going to get into the the part of the gospel that is it's so important to understand, and it really kind of centers around this this concept of substitution. Uh, we're familiar with substitution. We like all of us like it's in all kind of areas of life. Um, you know what a great day in school when you had a substitute teacher. You know, like that was just one of the best things. And no offense to any of our teachers here. I was a teacher as well. Uh, everybody gets pumped up when there's a sub. I, I don't know why. And even, it could be a terrible sub that you just, you didn't like them. There was, they were horrible. It just broke the routine. There's some, something about it where you're like, yes. Uh, we understand substitute teachers. We understand you can substitute sweet potato fries for regular fries. Like, we understand that. We, uh, the designated hitter, for all our baseball fans, uh, with the opening weekend, uh, the designated hitter is a substitute. Like, our whole lives, we have all these examples of being able to, like, substitute and swap things out. Um, but, of course, with the gospel, it's much deeper than that. Um, this isn't Jesus picking up the check. You know, this isn't Jesus being like, I'm a better hitter than you. Let me step in, you know. It's deeper than that. But we understand this idea that, that, that there are like built into life, there are options, that there are stand-ins that can happen. Um, what we need to understand, though, is that from the beginnings of the Bible, uh, God, like he built in this idea of substitution, uh, even like back in, in especially if, you're the, if you are ever really ambitious and you're like, I just want some like dense Old Testament reading, go read the first seven chapters of Leviticus, all right? You'll see a lot of substitution like being worked in there through the offerings and the sacrificial system of Israel. Uh, there's, there's something that God introduces to the people uh, that's just important for us to understand. Um, he, he tells us, in, uh, and we're not going to turn to these, but you can you could write down, if you're taking notes, Leviticus 1 through 7. You can write down Leviticus 17, 11, that teaches this. You can uh, write down Hebrews 9, 22, 
and Romans 6.23. All these verses point to all the stuff that I'm about to say. Uh, that there is, a, there is a penalty to be paid for sin. That God in his, uh, like when he was putting everything together, um, like in Romans 6.23, he, he, he uses the terminology of wages. The wages of sin is death. So if you have a job and you're getting paid $15 an hour, the wages of your work would be $15, right? So you do the work for an hour, your boss gives you 15 bucks, right? That's how, that's how that would work. So in Romans 6, Paul, as he's writing, and the Spirit is, is inspiring him and giving him the words, he says, the wages of sin is death. So when you sin, you get paid with death. Like, whoa, that's... That's pretty harsh, right? Well, yeah, it is. It's, it's very harsh. In the Hebrews 9 passage, Leviticus 17, it talks about the blood. Uh, like It's through the blood that forgiveness of sin happens. Without the shedding of blood, there isn't any forgiveness. And so it's not just a death, it's a bloody death that happens. And somewhere in God's plan, he decided that this was the best way to make this happen. And in Leviticus, he introduces this idea of substitution. And, and if you've been coming for a while, you've heard me talk about this. But the, the way that it would happen is you would bring an animal to the priest. And the, an, the particular animal was connected to the kind of offering and also uh, how much money you had. So some people could afford to bring a bull and some could only afford to bring a pigeon. Uh, it was connected to that. But you would bring the animal and there was a transfer that would happen. So you'd bring this perfect, spotless, uh, innocent animal, uh, the one that would bring you the most money if you were to sell it at the market, like that kind of thing. You bring this animal, uh, you bring it to the priest, and there's a transfer. You would put your hand on the head of the animal, and the, while the wages of sin is death, that means like you, are, you have sinned, therefore you deserve to die, Put your hand on the head of the animal, and there is a transfer to the animal. So the innocent animal now is now bearing your guilt. So the sentence that you are under, the wages that you are going to be paid in death, is now transferred to the animal. So now the animal is considered guilty. And then the priest kills the animal. And you get to walk away. So in the beginnings of the Bible... God is building into the community of his people this understanding that, that there's a problem... That sin is a problem, but yet a substitute is possible. And so they are in this sacrificial system where this is a part of the community, and it's a part of life, and it's a part of how it works. And so from the beginning, God is introducing this idea of substitution. And let me tell you three things that we see through the, through the sacrificial system of Israel. There's three things, if you want to write these down real quick. Uh, the first one that we see is... That God is God. That God is God. That He is holy. By holy, we mean He is set apart from everything else. There's nothing like Him. He is uh, separate from sin. Uh, there is no impurity in Him. There is there's only perfection. Uh, that He is devoted to His glory. That's His, that's his agenda, is His glory through everything. Um, he's separate, so he has no weird motives. He has no, uh, the, there isn't some sort of uh, weird agenda at, at play that he's keeping from us. He's very open about who he is and what he's, what he's here to do. 
uh, we see that um, because he is holy, he is obligated to do something about sin. That's what the Holy One does. The Holy One uh, destroys anything that is unholy. That's what holiness does. It's like the same way that light destroys darkness, holiness destroys sin. It's, it's similar, although obviously much, much deeper than that. I had a professor in seminary one time. He told a story about how he was staying in a hotel room. and uh, It was a, a hotel room that was in, it wasn't, there wasn't a window. It was like inside the, on the inside part of the hallway. And so uh, it was just a, you know, a box, basically. And uh, there was a power outage. And so he was, it, he was laying there, and there's a power outage, and he said it was, the most, it was the most isolated I'd ever been from any sort of light. And uh, he said, so I was sitting there, I was thinking like, like, oh, this is the, I've really never been in a situation where there was zero light in a room. He said it was kind of freaky, you know, and he was like telling us about all his, you know, this, all the things going through his mind and how, uh, and I'd never thought about it either. How I've, I've probably never been in a situation where I was literally like zero light. I've been in places where it's like super dark, but never like completely. And uh, so he's thinking about all these things and just fascinated and trying to soak up this moment where he's uh, completely like void of all light. And then, uh, then like his, he started to like see stuff and he thought he was crazy at first. And uh, he started to make out like things in the room. He was like, how can I see, you know, the mirror and the you know, whatever, how can I see these things when there's no light? And so he began to look around, and he realized that the light, the battery-powered light on the smoke detector was, uh, like his eyes over time had adjusted, and that little bitty light was now lighting up the whole room. And eventually it got to where he could get around the room just on the light off the smoke detector. Um, That's what light does to darkness. It displaces it. it. It eradicates it. It eliminates it. So God's holiness, uh, nothing sinful can be in the presence of God. It gets destroyed. And sometimes, and I've said this as well, and I've had friends correct my terminology because it wasn't what I was trying to say. Sometimes we'll say, uh, yeah, God can't be in the presence of sin. And actually, it's that sin can't be in the presence of God because it gets, it gets obliterated. That's what happens. Like that is his holiness on display. He is light, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So we see that about him. We see that God is God, that he is holy, and his holiness obligates him to destroy sin. It's, it's part of it. And so he is the sovereign Lord of all. Uh, he is in charge of everything. And so we see him building into his, the community life of his people this sacrificial system. That here the Holy One says, hey, how about we have a system where there's a substitute option that can happen. So that's the first thing we see is that God is God. The second thing that we see is that sin is serious. We see that sin is serious. We see that it's more than just like, oh, I don't know, I messed up. You know, sorry about that, God. That for something that, that brings about a death penalty, a bloodshed death penalty, that that is the wrath of God and how it deals with sin Sin is not a joke. It's not an inconvenience. It's not, a, not something we just kind of shrug off. It's something very serious. It's a violation of the Holy One. It's a rebellion against 
the Holy One of the universe, where we say, I know better than you. And he says, uh, I, where were you when I was speaking all this into existence? Where were you when this happened and this happened and this happened? Who are you again? And we look at him and we say, I, th- I think I know better when it comes to what to do with this money or what to do with this relationship or how to handle this situation, uh, how to proceed with my life. I know better than you. Thanks for this. It's nice that you're interested, but I think, I'm, I, think I got this. It's a rejection of Jesus, like we said last week. It's a rebellion against him. It's hiding our faces from him. Because he, do, he won't look at us and say, you're, you're a rebellion, it's okay. Don't worry about it, it's no big deal. You just do what you want. He looks at us and says, no. Absolutely not. And we, want, we don't want to hear no. We want to hear, yes, do whatever you want. And he's not going to endorse us. And so we hide from him. And we keep choosing our own way. And so we see the seriousness of sin. And the Holy One of the universe must deal with that sin. And an animal just isn't going to get it done long term. Because you bring the animal, you lay your hand on the head of the animal, the animal is slaughtered, you walk away, and then you sin again. And so it was this cycle that was exhausting Israel to show them, like, guess what? You have a problem. Your problem is sin. The substitute option is only gonna is it's only gonna do so much. You need a long term, permanent substitute, and it's not gonna be a better lamb, a better bull, a better pigeon. It's not gonna be this. It's not gonna be this. It's not gonna be this. You need divine intervention into your situation. We don't like the we don't like the word wrath because wrath wrath is is one of those things that we. We think it means oh, like this, this anger, you know, this fury. We've had, there are passages in the Bible where it, really, it describes it that way. And there are some of those good old like, hymns that we don't ever sing anymore because they sound so, they're just so violent and whatever, as if God's like enjoying it, you know. He doesn't enjoy it. And there aren't a lot of analogies I could think of that would help us understand wrath. The only, one that's been helpful to me is um, if, you, if you're a parent and your kid is there and a dog attacks your kid, you're going to do whatever you need to do to that dog to protect your kid. That's your wrath. It's your love for your child and that vicious protectiveness coming out and you're going to do whatever you have to do. You're going to put that dog down in order to spare your child. That's a wrathful, loving action. It's not because you hate the dog. It's not because you're mad at your kid because they shouldn't have been playing too close to the dog pen. It's not any of that stuff. It's love in action. So God looks at us and he sees the sin and our rebellion and how he didn't make us that way and how it's killing us and it's separated us from him. And he is able to separate our sin, like the sin from the sinner, and he's able to deal with the sin without having to destroy the sinner. That's why he came up with a substitute. That's where that transfer is so amazing. See, we, we, we lump them together. We think sin, sinner, and they go together. But God is able to think, obviously, much different level than we can. So he's able to separate them. He's able to transfer the guilt 
uh, to the substitute and spare us. And so it is his loving action, his like wrath is an act of love, to say, this is killing my kids. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to put it down by tr- first transferring it to a substitute and then putting down the substitute. So it starts in the Old Testament. Transfer it to a lamb, kill the lamb. The person goes free. But here's that cycle I was talking about. It's not, it's not complete. It's not permanent. It's not enough. There aren't enough lambs. You know, it, just, it doesn't work that way. And so after years and years and years, the children of Israel kind of started to understand, like, oh, we need, we need some help with this. And through the prophets, he started to talk about a redeemer that was going to come and once and for all deal with this. And that's what this chapter points to, is this once and for all permanent sacrifice, this substitution possibility that God could take the guilt of our sin, transfer it to something else, and then put that down. And then the penalty has been paid. The wages have been paid. But we don't have to die. It's a great act of love. And it's one that um, I think is just stunning. So the first thing, we see that God is God. Second thing, we see that sin is serious. The third, we see that man is loved. Made in the image of God. Loved deeply by him. In ways that we, we're continuing to learn about. But I think something that we lose sight of sometimes is, especially like I, I said this last week a little bit, we're, we're a very grace-driven community here at The Ring. It's in all of our teaching. It's, I believe it's in the Bible. So that's why it's in our teaching. Um, that's, it's, it's, there's so much that's there. But sometimes the, the kickback on that is that we kind of... We can be very dismissive about our sin. And, I th- well, I'll get to that. We have to keep in mind that there was something coming our way. That God, he was offering this substitute, the, the possibility to transfer our, our, our guilt. But he didn't have to, you know. That we, we deserve to be killed, to be punished. That we, we earn that. So if the wages of sin is death, then we have, we have earned that. If the wages of an hour's work is 15 bucks, and you do the hour work, you get the money. Well, we've done the work. We've committed the sin. Uh, we were born... Into sin, we have chosen our own way over and over and over and over again in our lives. We don't need to be convinced that something is wrong with us and with the world. And unfortunately, as Christians and as the church and as preachers, we haven't really done a very stand-up job sometimes of, of helping communicate this to the world, to equip the saints for the work of ministry to go and to care for people in the midst of a world that's busted and broken. Um, so understanding this is, is of vital importance. That we are deserving of death because of our sin and our rebellion. That we deserve hell. 
That's what we earned. And as much as God loves us, uh, that's the consequence of that sin. So we learn that through the substitution, uh, substitutionary system that God set up in the Bible, we see that God is God, holy, sovereign, obligated by His holiness to do something about sin. Uh, sin in His presence gets destroyed. Why? Number two, because sin is serious. It is a violation and a rebellion against the Holy One of the universe. And yet with man, the third thing, man is loved. God says, I love you too much to destroy you, so I'm going to come up with a plan. He created a long time ago this substitutionary option, but in Jesus it is perfected. And I think for us to explore the depths of that, I think we have to understand what was coming our way in the first place. And so I took a little bit of liberty with Isaiah 53, 4, 5, and 6, and just sort of re- reworded it as, as though what, what would this say if Christ hadn't stepped in? If it was just that God is God and that sin is serious and there was no love for man, that third point wasn't in there, what, was, what would be coming our way? What was headed our way? So here's a, a reworked version of Isaiah 53, 4, 5, and 6, and then we'll get to the real one. So please don't think this is real. This is fake. Okay. Uh, so this is what I said. Um, Surely I have borne my grief and carried my sorrows. I am stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I was pierced for my transgressions. I was crushed for my iniquities. Upon me was the chastisement that brought me chaos, and these wounds will never be healed. Like a sheep I have gone astray, I have turned to my own way, and the Lord has laid on me all of my iniquity. Apart from Christ, that is the destiny of every person. That when you don't know about this substitution, when you don't hear it presented clearly, when you're closed off to it, when you've already made up your mind, when you've heard it and you've said, I don't want anything to do with that. When you live in a place that the gospel doesn't, hasn't gotten to yet, on and on and on and on, from what we as evangelical Christians understand about the Bible, this this is what's coming your way. Let me, let me have a little side note here. Uh, I believe that the final call is up to the Lord. Like, he, he decides what happens. And he is incapable of making a mistake. So sometimes people say, well, what about those people that live, you know, in these remote parts of the world? What about people who live in heavily populated, populated parts of the world, but the the gospel hasn't gotten there yet and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, God's the judge. I don't know. And there's some very prominent pastors right now, guys writing books. Uh, there's one guy that I was in seminary with, uh, and he's just he's super popular right now. And one of his things is like billions of people are going to hell, you know. Um, and I, I get that. I understand what he's saying. Um, 
I think it's the Lord's call. And I can't, I can't offer a lot of insight and wisdom about the billions and billions of people on the planet who haven't heard this yet. God's going to do the right thing with them. Our job is to take it to them. And so while we're living, breathing, walking this earth, we're to take it to them, whether they're in India or whether they're across the street from us. I don't know about those big things. What I know about is what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with my responsibility to be clear about this and to bring this forward as a pastor and to equip you to go and to be able to answer these questions and deal with these things. And all I know is, this is what is, was, is, the Bible says was coming to me. That if Jesus hadn't stepped in, this is what would happen. I would be bearing all of my own grief and all of my own sorrow. That nothing would ever be healed. That I would deserve it. That the wages I would be paid through that death would be 100% earned by me. But, that's not what Isaiah 53, 4, 5, and 6 say. They're much better than my version. And praise God for eternity that Jesus stepped in. So let's look at what verse 4 actually has to say. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. All right, grief and sorrow over what? Grief and sorrow over, over our sin. You know, like that, that moment when you realize, and if you're, if you're a Christian, all right, you had a moment where everything became crystal clear to you. And you realized that you were a sinner in need of a redeemer, of someone to save you from your grief and your sorrow. And you may have cried in that moment, you may not have cried in that moment, but there was a grief and a sorrow that you carried when you realized that you had looked in the face of the Holy One and said, I know better than you. And there was nothing you could do about it. So the grief and sorrow that he is carrying of yours and of mine, that's all, like it's been transferred to him. So he experienced that grief and that sorrow when he died as our substitute. At some point that was transferred to him. And so that weight and that sadness that we feel over the times we have rejected Jesus, he carried that. Now, we, we carry it a little bit, too, you know. We should be broken over those things. There should be a sorrow over those things. But it was also transferred to him. And that's a part of what made the cross so horrific. You know, we've probably all seen the movies, and we've seen the, the physical beating that he took portrayed very, very vividly. And that's, it's, it's terrible. But it was also emotional and also spiritual. It was a holistic torture that went on because when we start to think about all the, all the sins we've committed, every bit of grief 
from you was put onto him. And not only you, but also you, and also you, and also you, and also you, and also me. And just blow that all, all around the world, all like since then, all throughout time. That's a lot of grief. That's a lot of sorrow put on him. It should have been coming at me. Mine should have been coming at me. Yours should have been coming at you. But yet he carried it. Uh, the, the next part of the verse, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This is a prophecy about how people would perceive him and how people would look at Jesus. And it explains how people look at him and they're like, man, God completely bailed on him. Like, oh, he was forgotten about by God. Oh, this, 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 this. Like, the dots weren't connecting. So this prophecy is saying, like, people for all time, they're they're not going to connect the dots between their own grief and sorrow and the fact that it was transferred to him, they're going to separate those things and they're going to say, man, God, God just beat him down. But we as Christians, we say, no, God, like, God didn't just beat him down. He carried my grief and my sorrow. It was transferred to him and the holiness of God took care of it and put him down. So this verse is saying, people aren't going to connect that, but as Christians, we need to connect that. And that's some of why we're in this series, is for us to be broken again and sorrowful again. But in light of the gospel, in light of the good news that it has been transferred, and what that teaches us about his love. Look at the next verse. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. There's a lot of uh, him and us in this verse. So him, uh, let's see, pierced, crushed, chastised, wounded. All that was coming to me. I should have been pierced, crushed, chastised, wounded, but yet it went to him. See, I have, to, I have to continue to grow in my understanding of the depths of that reality. And you do too. It's not to say we sit around and we mope all the time. We should rejoice over this, but the more we grieve over it, the deeper our joy comes. So, the wrath that was coming to you was transferred to him. So he gets pierced, crushed, chastised, wounded. What do we get? Um, let's see. Chastisement brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. So he gets destroyed and we get peace and healing. That doesn't hardly seem fair. And that's the be- part of the beauty of the gospel is it's not fair. It's not about fairness. Like, this is love. You want to know what agape love looks like? That's it. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's the gift of God. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It is a gift to you. It is a gift to me. 
It's a gift to your neighbors, a gift to your family, a gift to uh, anybody that you come in contact with. It's a gift. It's this offer of substitution. Jesus says, I'll step in, transfer all that stuff to me, and I'll, I'll take the bloody death. I'll take the wrath upon myself. You get peace, you get healing, uh, I get put down. The difference, of course, I mean, there's a lot of them, I guess, but Jesus, could, he could take it. I mean, it was awful, but he made it. And the end of this chapter deals with the victory, uh, but right now we're going to sit in the substitution. And the reality, last verse for today, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Turning to our own way. It's a great way to think about sin. To say no to the Holy One and take our own path, make our own decisions. We despise and we reject Him because He won't endorse our own rebellion. He won't say, no, it's good. Why don't you go ahead and just do whatever you want right now? He's never going to say that. So we hide our face from Him. And He looks at us and says, I know you're enslaved to that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your substitute. You place your faith in me. You confess the fact that you are a sinner and you need a redeemer and that I'm him. And I'll free you from being bound to turning to your own way. This verse says that we're all guilty And at the end it says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That all of your sin, the ones you've committed, the ones that you will commit, it's all been laid on him. There's a lot of of counseling that, that I get to do as part of my job. and A lot of it's just dealing with guilt and shame over things that people have done. Uh... And me working through my guilt and shame for things that I've done. And we always come back to this. So he's already died for that. It's been laid on him already. It's taken care of. There isn't any condemnation coming toward you anymore because all of that condemnation went toward Jesus. And so when Jesus died on the cross that day and he said, it is finished, so there's no more chastisement. There's no more punishment. There's no more wrath. There's, there's nothing left to atone for. There's nothing, there's nothing left. It's completed. It's done. So a lot of counseling and a lot of us walking through things together and in our small groups, stuff like that, is us coming to terms with the fact that it really is done. That the Lord really has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what that means. See, the Old Testament animals, they didn't have a choice, you know, because they're animals. They don't get to choose. So, to them, being born and being the prize-winning, let's take the lamb, prize-winning lamb, actually worked against them. 
They didn't have a choice. You know, they put the rope around their neck and brought them to the priests, and, you know, there you go. But Jesus had a choice. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to leave heaven. He didn't have to be born the way that he was. He didn't have to live life here on the earth. He didn't have to be despised and be rejected. He didn't have to be pierced or wounded. He didn't have to, none of that. He didn't have to do any of it. He wanted to. He says in, in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 18, he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He wasn't forced into being a substitute. That God being God and sin being serious and man being loved, God responded to that with the plan. And the plan was to send the Son to be the perfect, once for all time, sacrifice that would put an end to the sacrificial system and allow His children to live in peace and healing. And Jesus said, I'm in. Let's go. And as terrible as it was, the big answer, I mean, the big question always comes in, well, why? Why did, why did he do this? Why, 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 why? I think just love. That's why. That's the answer. He loved the Father. He loves, there's love within the Trinity. He loves creation. He hates what sin has done to the, to the earth and to his children. He hates the separation that it's brought. He loves the fact that he can separate sin from sinner and eliminate the sin. And he loves the fact that we will live in healing and peace forever and we will reign with him on the new earth. He loves, 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 loves. This greater love has no man than this. This is what we're talking about. And so that's the gospel. And there, there are so many times when I just think, like, man, if I could just have like 30 minutes, I wonder if I could explain it better than certain people have heard it, you know. It's not to say, like, I could explain it. It's just, man, I think about people who have just never, they never heard it accurately put, you know. It's too, too one way or too the other way, and it's like little whatever's, and like you read this, and like, there it is. It's right there in front of us. Why in the world would someone reject that? I, I don't know. Why do I reject it very often in my own life still? That's, to me, that's an even greater mystery. Is knowing all of this, why do I still turn to my own way at times? Why do I still despise and reject this loving, perfect Savior? Why do I still look at Him and say, I know better than you? And when I do that, why am I not broken about it? That's what, that's what I want to know. That's what I'm digging in with the Lord about. And that's what I think He wants us to dig in as well. Why have I not cried over my sin in a long, long time. They go together. I talked about this last week. It's like, it's like two big chunks of concrete that are sinking in the ocean. They're tied together. The deeper our understanding of sin goes, with it goes the depths of our understanding about grace. So I don't want, I don't want to be shallow in this. And I know you don't either. I don't want a, a cheap grace Bonhoeffer talks about costly grace. That's what, I, that's what I want. Not that we sit around and mope and cry about our sin, that we're broken over it, but what far outshines that is the grace and love of Jesus that says, yeah, and I still died for you. 
I still died for you. So may we stop rejecting this Savior of ours. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. Just take a second and uh, now that we've transitioned to a standing position, let's uh, let's just take a, a minute and just kind of focus our minds a little bit, and because um, we're going to sing, I mean, you know, we're going to sing. We sing as a response to the things that He's revealing. Just prepare, prepare yourself to respond in song to whatever is going on in your heart and your mind right now. Maybe just take a moment and just confess. Just confess whatever, whatever is stirring that you feel like needs to be acknowledged to your Savior. Lord, as we sing, I pray that we would sing... As these songs of gratitude and uh, and love for you, not as trying to force some sort of emotional response, but just as sincere, loving, rescued ones.